Welcome to the Bullish Drive Podcast, where we explore the realms of faith, mental performance, and personal testimonies through conversations with high-level performers. Join us as we extract valuable insights from their experiences to supercharge your pursuit of peak performance. This is the Bullish Drive Podcast. What's up, fam? Welcome to another awesome episode of the Bullish Drive Podcast, and where today we're diving deep into the profound connection between music and mental health. So let's kick it off with the exploration of recognizing the age-old bond between music and our minds, beautifully documented in the Bible. And the Bible music is revered for its power to soothe troubled minds and lift spirits. Taking song in the Old Testament, for example, struggling with tormenting thoughts. David, a skilled harpist, the same David that killed Goliath, stepped in and played music that calmed Saul's troubled soul. This act echoes the therapeutic nature of music and its ability to alleviate mental distress. Now the Psalms, often accompanied by musical instruments and attributed to inspired writers like David, express a range of emotions. They showcase the profound impact music can have on our feelings, taking us from despair to hope, from sorrow to rejoicing. And as we move into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul urges believers to use music, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to connect with one another and the Lord. This underscores the communal and personal aspects of music, highlighting its potential to bring joy, unity, and spiritual upliftment. Understanding the spiritual and emotional resonance of music, particularly within the context of the Bible, sets the stage for us to explore the mental health benefits of engaging with this universal language. Music isn't just about what we hear, it's a profound spiritual and emotional journey that reaches deep into our being. As we dive deeper, let's keep in mind this ancient wisdom that celebrates the therapeutic and transformative power of music, a power that has stood the test of time and continues to resonate with us today. Now, when we talk about opera, we're delving into a world of vocal and emotional expression at its pinnacle. However, what often goes unnoticed are the mental hurdles that come with its territory. Being an opera singer isn't just about hitting those high notes, it's about managing the pressure and roller coaster of emotions that come with the job. Beverly Sills, a celebrated opera singer, once emphasized that mastering opera isn't just about singing, it's about managing the lifestyle that comes with it. And research tells us that opera singers often battle with anxiety, depression, and performance-related stress. And the pressure to maintain vocal health, meet artistic standards, and keep up with the demanding performance schedule can be overwhelming. Understanding mental health, managing stress, and adopting effective coping strategies are crucial for them to just navigate their demanding careers successfully. Luciano Pavarotti, a legendary tenor, rightly stressed the importance of caring for both the voice and the mind. He highlighted the intricate link between physical health, mental well-being, and vocal performance. And for opera singers, reaching their highest potential involves not only mastering their craft, but also nurturing mental resilience and maintaining a positive self-image. Now, Maslow's concept of self-actualization is applicable in this context too. Opera singers strive for self-actualization, realizing their full potential, being creative, and experiencing personal growth. It's a journey beyond singing. It's about becoming the best version of themselves. And mental resilience, determination, and a positive self-image are critical elements of this journey. This journey isn't exclusive to opera singers. It's a universal truth for high-level performers, whether you're an opera singer, an NBA player, or an esports legend. Though the arenas may vary, the understanding of mental grit and life management remains fundamental across these domains. And today, 
we have a special guest, a good buddy of mine from my time at Luther College. He's now the casting director for the Munich Opera House. Welcome to the podcast, Eric Malmquist. For those who don't know, I used to play an instrument, the violin, and uh, it actually helped me get through college. I played on the symphony orchestra at Luther, and uh, we traveled, we did some touring, and my concert master was a dude named Eric Malmquist. And uh, super blessed to reconnect, have him on the show today. So Eric, welcome on. Thanks for having me, James. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's crazy that it's been as long as it has. And some of my fondest memories from college were Symphony Orchestra and our, our tours. And I don't know, you and I were the same year. So we really sort of came of age together in that, That's uh, right. in that uh, in those days. Yeah. So no, after Luther, um, I, was a, I was a music education major at Luther College. Uh, but I also played, uh, played violin relatively seriously. And then I went on to grad school in violin performance. Um, after graduate school, I moved to New York, where I was freelancing as a, as a freelance violinist. Um, and I also started to do some administrative work uh, while, while there. Um, and I sort of found, and we can sort of talk a little bit more about this, but I found it was really challenging to, um, to sort of serve two masters in some way. The sort of excellence that I'd kind of gone through grad school working toward and sort of striving toward um, was very hard to maintain while being an administrator in, in different functions. I also found I liked administration. I liked the sort of the craft of, of making music, bringing music to the stage and, and sort of um, helping artists, yeah, helping artists create great performances, which I found in some ways more thrilling than the actual performing myself. Um, and so I, I sort of slowly and then all and then it sort of sped up, just decided to stop pursuing it professionally and, and really focus on being an arts administrator. So from there, I, I became a, an agent um, uh, for I was sort of lucky to sort of end up with a, a very fine agency in, in New York. Uh, Zemsky Green is the name of it, managed some big talent. And then from that point, one of the big responsibilities you have as an agent is to be um, at, as, at as many of your artists' performances as possible, uh, not only following up on their performance and trying to get them booked for, for further performances, but also scouting for other talent that you see on stage. So in those years, I was just constantly in performances, backstage with artists, after the show with artists, which is also a really interestingly vulnerable time for them. I'm getting to know the sort of the, the, the global operatic scene. Um, during COVID, I managed an orchestra back in my hometown, and then um, I was offered a job as the as the head of casting at the uh, the Bavarian State Opera, which is uh, based in Munich. So, which is where I'm sitting. I'm sorry, where I, there's actually a rehearsal going on inside, so I'm I'm sitting currently <laughs> outside awesome. outside of our our second theater here on the on the Prinzengartenstrasse in Munich, where I now serve as the the casting director. Man, that that's a wild journey, man. That's awesome, though. Like like that's <laughs> so cool to hear. Um, Man, I can definitely relate though about like just the traveling and being at all these performances, especially as a mental skills coach, um, just having to be pulled in all these directions and managing your schedule and organization. Now you said something um, during your intro about the vulnerability of, um, you know, around the performances. Um, what's what's that like? Like how much of that do you have to manage as as an agent and and working with high level performances like that? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I was sort of surprised uh, to find out, like, the higher it got, that it didn't get any easier to be on stage, that it didn't get any more um, sort of, there's a routineness to it, of course, as one kind of gets into the sort of rhythm of professionalism, but that no matter what, after a performance, uh, the singers that I was working with um, would invariably ask for feedback. Um, 
and very rarely actually wanted it. They were very rarely in a headspace where they were ready to sort of receive feedback at what they what they had just done. What they wanted to hear from you in that moment, which I completely understand, was you were brilliant. Um, yeah. Because this person just had to sit out in front of, you know, 2,500 um, people for the last three hours and give them, give so much of themselves mm. um, that they were not in a state, they're not in a place where despite their asking for feedback, they were not in a state to receive it in a, in a meaningful mm. way. And so if there was, um, I found often, um, yeah, I had to sort of screen that feedback and be ready to, or I try to be very honest and transparent. Mm -hmm. I try to never, to never lie to people and say you were wonderful when you were, but to be ready to give, um, be ready to give a sort of a screened version of feedback. And then, and then when somebody's in a more, um, yeah, less of a vulnerable moment to then really start to talk about how do you progress um, past what you did today? How do you correct the things that didn't go right? And how do you capitalize on the things that did go right? yeah man that's so so there's almost like a level of humility balance that you have to do with with uh with your with your performers in a sense which is like uh because you said like they want to hear that they're brilliant right but a part yeah, of yeah. growth is is accepting like there's areas to grow um yeah so so where does that even come from how do you even begin developing a relationship where you can get to that point where you can build them up like that yeah i mean Artists are an interesting breed, you know. It's uh, it's uh, because I mean because you're you're sitting there giving so much of yourself in a very difficult to quantify business, mm. and so how, to develop to develop your relationship with them requires. I mean, there's the easy path, which is to be the, the yes person, the person that always validates, the person that always gives them what they want to hear. But they are especially the higher and higher you get in in business, there's so they're surrounded by those people. There's always the people ready to tell them what they want to hear, and so I found that developing a sort of a slow and trusting and open relationship required a lot of honesty, a lot of discomfort. I'm from the Midwest, you're from the Midwest, and we <laughs> share this this sort of aversion to making people unhappy, uncomfortable. Yeah. In my in my growing up, there was nothing worse than making somebody feel bad, you know? And so I really had to I have to sort of steal myself to be ready to give somebody feedback that they may not want to hear, but they ultimately need. And um, I found that if you if you do that slowly, respectfully and um, and openly uh, the relationship develops in a much deeper way than if you're simply giving, yeah, you know, giving validation. Yeah, yeah, and especially for like young artists, you know, there's, I feel like in music there is a much higher level of constructive criticism that you receive, um, either from your coaches or teachers or just uh, people who are, you know, judging you. Like if you're in in tournaments or tournaments, tournaments competitions, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, that type of setting. Uh, what, what would should a young musician really prepare for what does that level of emotional weight carry as you move into the professional world because like you said that doesn't change right is it more yeah. is it heavier yeah no it, it is because i feel like the better you get the bigger challenges are thrown in front of you which is which is what's exciting about what we do and so it's it's never if you yeah as a young performer if you're in it for the validation, you're you shouldn't you shouldn't be there, you know. And I think a lot of us yeah. fell into that trap, fall into that trap. Um, that as a young performer, you should you should really love what you do, and be mm. very clear. And I think I, like really look at yourself in the mirror, say, do I do this because I love it? Do I do this because I I come to life when I'm doing it, or do I do it because I come to life when I talk to somebody after the show and they tell me I'm amazing? And I feel like these are two really important. And then if you are the kind of person that is looking for that validation 
that's not that's not a deal breaker but be sure that you then need to start to change your perspective when you walk out on stage you're doing it for your for yourself you're you're bringing you're bringing yourself to the performance you're not you're not trying yeah, because yeah, look, when you're when you're you know 16 years old, you're waiting for your parents backstage to tell you you're wonderful. When you're 18 years old, you're waiting for your friends at school to tell you you're wonderful. When you're 25 years old, you're waiting for your you know the people you hang out at the bar with to tell you you're you know. <laughs> and that's there's all they're always going to be there, and yeah. it always feels good. But but do it for you, not for mm -hmm. them. And uh, and it's it's a, it's possible to do it to switch from from one form of of kind of. Uh, it sounds bad, dead bad, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's so true, man. And, you know, it, I'm not sure if the statistics are the same, but, you know, in athletics, like the burnout rate for a 13 year old is like 70%, you know, in oh, sports. Yeah, yeah. Just because, like, a lot of times parents are kind of reliving their glory days to their kids and so right. pushing them. And so what you said was like beautifully said, like, you really got to find out if you why you're doing this and why you love it another thing that i find interesting about music um is that unlike sports you know oftentimes you're training for one major performance you know that's like maybe a month away or something like that so like i feel like there's right. so much more riding on that one performance to succeed um so how do you balance that that uh dichotomy of like trust the process or shoot for the outcome you know how how do you balance that in a professional musician? Yeah, that's so, you're so it's so true. And actually, working in the, the in in opera, we have all of our guests are are here on freelance contracts. You know, so they they come and if they give a good performance, um, the best case scenario they get a contract five years from now. Worst case scenario, they don't get an offer. And often in these, you know, I I'm sitting here in Munich, so we're you know, I'm four hours from Zurich, I'm five hours from Berlin, I'm three hours from Vienna. Often my colleagues from those houses will be at our performances. And so, yeah. you know, there's, as you say, there's so much that, there's so much more that rides on a single performance. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that like, that um, that increases, that we are talking about before, that increases the weight. Uh, like mm -hmm. as, as as you grow into these performances, every every performance carries, uh, carries much more, um, yeah, much more implication for your future for your professional life um and i don't know that i have a i don't know that i have a sort of silver bullet to that except for <laughs> what i found is that the, the most successful people are the ones that plan very carefully everything mm. they do um in in the performance that there's no they don't leave they leave as little up to chance as possible chance is a in, is a, a variable that exists in everything we do which is make what makes live performance fun but knowing that a performance that doesn't live up to the highest level let me put it in a, in a positive way, which is like a performance that really lives up to your potential. Mm. If you're, if you're, again, if you're singing in our house, it has the potential to also be heard by Vienna, by Zurich, by Berlin, by, if you do, a, if, you, if you deliver an excellent performance, it could result in, um, in further engagements in your future and in growth and professionally. So that I find these people that plan every note the way they move between every note, the way they plan to step on stage, where their foot is going to fall at a given mm -hmm. moment in the aria, where there's no there's no chance left. You've 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 worked out everything, so that you never sort of you never find yourself as I am in this sentence right now in a place where I don't know how to escape it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, and and so the people that are so careful and so well executed in everything they do, 
And you could tell it when you see them repeat it night after night that there was nothing arbitrary about the about the way they 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 moved between two notes and they either these touching beautiful moments that that you as a young musician can do sort of by accident you sort of stumble across them you find that at the highest level it's the one they've taken those moments and they've really crafted them to make a meaningful product instead of just mm. a meaningful moment and that and that that elimination of chance in any place you can eliminate chance um helps to to kind of curb nervousness and curb performance anxiety in the face of a, of a demanding performance yeah oh man so there's so there's so much more about knowing what you can control and when when you recognize that just making sure you own those things right right um man that's that's so good yeah what do you tell musicians um or clients that you're working with when they're in the middle of a performance and all of a sudden something gets taken by chance right something uh, just falls out of their control what do you tell them so that they keep their mind back in the flow you know back in the performance and just helping them stay in peak i did my share of athletics in high school and so i I sort of i sort of um revert back to an old moment of (laughs) yeah uh, because i feel like it's the the easy thing when somebody's having a bad performance and and they know it they're not stupid yeah you know they feel it you know and so you go back you know there's nothing worse than going back there and be like hey how you do it you know there's because (laughs) they don't need that they're doing bad (laughs) yeah i heard it i heard it yeah yeah and so um and so if you're able to go out there and go back there and just say hey man like that that sucks um mm-hmm. you're gonna need to you're gonna need to stand up and do better like yeah. and you can like that's not what you sound like we know you know um uh, again not pretending for a moment that somebody had a good yeah just say yeah it's okay but you screwed up <laughs> uh you know you so it didn't go great uh stand up and and collect yourself uh put it back together take a deep breath and let's go out there and do it um and sometimes that's you just people need to hear it it's there's mm-hmm. nothing there's nothing more to it than that i find that just sort of saying i'm here with you we're, we're all sitting out there and uh, we're still we're still pulling for you yeah 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 and do you yeah. do you think like so we call it grit um is there do you think that grit is just more built into the uh biology if you want to call it that of high level performers like just to keep pushing through i I had someone from maverick city on the show and they're just talking about until they made it to maverick city they're just doing audition after audition after audition after audition consistently being told like you didn't make it you didn't make it you're not good enough you're not what we're looking for um and and she just talked about grit like you got to buckle down and be like if this is something i want to do I'm going to keep trying to do it and get better along the way. Is that, uh, how much is that built into the tapestry of high performing yeah. musicians? Yeah, well, look, I mean, there's always an exception to this rule, no question. But I think most people that have reached a high level, as you say, they've experienced it. They've experienced every kind of failure and they know how to stand up, stand up when they're down on the field. They, they know how to get up. And um, that is that's something that just comes from years of trial and error and the ones that the ones that aren't able to do that tend to just not make it past a certain point and so i guess put another way everybody has figured out how to how to yeah dust themselves off and get back out in the field and that's um again it's hard you know it's hard in life that's hard in everything we do that's not just performance (laughs) space you know and i think i think the people that i that i admire the most are the ones that yeah it's not that they've been like a life of success is they they've taken their share of hits and they have still managed to um yeah still managed to pull it all together you know yeah 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 keep pushing through Yeah. yeah um what what's the what's the mental preparation look like uh prior to performances like 
um because you mentioned like just performance anxiety and stuff like that what what kind of pre-performance routine do you see your musicians go through to get into the mindset Oh, I love this. I, I have a, I have a 30,000 foot view of it because I, I have to do dressing room checks to make sure everybody's there, make sure everyone's sort of, you know, yeah. in, a, in a good spot. There's no problem. You know, uh, somebody didn't, uh, yeah, didn't disappear or something like this. And so you see everything, everything across the board. Some people, uh, we actually have one artist, um, who's in the building behind me right now, um, <laughs> who is chronically late for every performance, oh, no. which go, flies in the ear. But actually, I, I once talked to the agent about it, and I now understand, and I'm quite apathetic to it, that there's nothing that this artist hates more than waiting. That waiting is the mm. worst. And that like, and that for him, he cannot do it. It, it. it increases anxiety. So his, yeah, his sort of fallback is he is intentionally late so that he can just walk in, uh, throw his costume on, uh, do a couple warm-ups and just go out on stage. Um, on the other side, I, you, you find these people that um, that are completely silent in their dressing rooms, that are just um, that are just sort of finding their peace, finding their place, finding who they are. And the thing that I think is more often the case than anything else, um, which I find very touching in some way, because this is a really hard career, and yeah. I don't know if we can talk about it, but like these these people are always away from their families. Um, mm. uh, that's you know because we. Yeah, I mean, our, our rehearsal periods are relatively short, but still they're away for three weeks, four weeks at a time. And uh, I find very often I walk into a room and the most people I know spend their last minutes before going on stage on phone on a phone with their spouse or with their kids. And, uh, and just sort of checking them, just sort of using them to find that that sort of support and encouragement. So I, yeah, those are the those are the sort of three types that I've, I've stumbled across. I think. Yeah, that's that's good, man. I was actually going to talk a little bit about that, too, just uh the time commitment to be a professional musician you know because athletes you see it all the time right they're they're always on the road they're going to these places you know you got people like michael jordan kobe bryant talking about just being away from family but i don't think a lot of musicians uh quite grasp like it, there's also a lot of time away from family um how and you kind of touched on it but how do people yeah. manage that like how do you keep a healthy yeah no that? i yeah you know, it's, it's, it's funny that you bring this up because I remember one time at Luther, I think we, you probably were there. Do you remember Eric Cutler came and gave a, gave a lecture? Oh, yeah. uh, do you remember this? He like, yeah, yeah. So Eric Cutler was, uh, for those who don't know him, he's a, um, he's a, a Luther alum like James and I, but he was a, a very, very well-known tenor. Mm -hmm. um, and he, um, he actually sings with us quite a bit now. Um, and uh, he gave this interesting talk. So like, Luther is a place where, where music is put on a pedestal and it, mm. and it exists sort of, sort of as an abstract concept. I mean, we, we, we made great music there, but the professional music life sort of, um, yeah, it exists in a, in a, in a different universe and in a, in a mountain far away. And so, I mean, I think, I think for those of us that really wanted to do it professionally, we saw it as the most exciting thing we could strive toward. And that once you've made it, you've gotten your job in a professional orchestra, you're a professional singer that you've, you've made it. And then, and then life will be accomplished. No? Mm -hmm. And Eric was the first person who came and gave a, a, a recital and then a masterclass. And he was the first person to say, guys, this life is fine. You know, yeah. this is, um, there's no way to slice it. And, and of course, at, at age 20, it's a little bit more challenging to sort of think about and like what exactly your 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 spouse and your family means to you. But like what it's like to be on the roads constantly and, and the people with the best with the best careers are never at home. I mean, yeah. it really it's, it's it's mind blowing that if you want to be a serious singer and make a, a big living, 
you'll spend three, four weeks a year, a calendar year at home. And that's if you're lucky enough to sort of build in breaks and stuff like this. And so, yeah, you find yourself, yeah, they find themselves always away from people, never having a real stable structure and uh, tempted by, by situations that cause, that, yeah, that cause problems in marriages. And we see that, I've seen, and this is what, what Eric was referring to mm-hmm. in, this, in this thing. He was uh, at the time on his third marriage. I can report now that Eric is now very happily married with, with this <laughs> wonderful German soprano. And, but but, but uh, I think um, you find yourself really lost in the wilderness and you forget that after, after years of growing up with family at home, and then friends in college that yeah that that life of stability that you we grow to trust is completely gone as you're just alone in a hotel room and mm. and yeah i don't know it's it's a hard career i don't yeah. think i just answered your question i think i just wandered off a whole different <laughs> no, <tangent. laughs> no that was good i i like the transparency of it you know to see the window into it because these are conversations that i feel like aren't really talked about you know like yeah the the really difficult side of it you know can you have a family as a high performer yeah you can but it's it's a little bit harder you than, have to work you yeah. have to work at it yeah 100 percent. so yeah. no i appreciate that you did answer it in 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 a way i wasn't expecting but it was a good way <laughs> so <laughs> it was good yeah so what's the kind of we'll kind of get uh near the end of closing here but i, I want to talk a little bit about the community and the support systems kind of required and needed to just maintain your own mental health in a career like this uh, considering all the things we've talked about though thus far like how important is it to have a good support system around you yeah i mean there's nothing there's nothing more important at all like ever and i think that what i've what i've seen from the from the artists that we work with um i mean vocal music is much more is much closer to athletics than um than strings and piano um just Mm. by virtue of um the 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 internal mechanism the actual musculature is so much is um is actually is very physical um and so the um every serious singer i know has has a teacher they still go to on an extremely regular basis often they they warm up with them on a daily basis just to check in um in the same way that that a pole vaulter has to check form because there's there's yeah. little things that that could not that may not be showing up as problematic in you know in the actual performance but a good coach has an eye for those kind of things and so that kind of uh, structure is is so important not only for the the actual physical um uh corrections but also for the knowledge that i'm not alone in what i'm doing that i'm actually that there's somebody there that's supporting me that's seeing that's looking for these flaws not in order to write a mean blog post or something like this but but to make sure that i'm performing at my highest level um and the actual the other side of it and the 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 support structure is uh, when it comes to the home front um like I say, that's hard in this career, you know? That's, mm-hmm. that's that's impossibly hard in this career. And I guess unlike athletic careers, they are much longer. You know, people, uh, some of our some of our singers perform into their 60s. Um, and uh, and the ones that I know that have done it successfully with families um, often have, uh, which I think is deeply unfair sometimes, but often have a spouse that either doesn't work and travels with them mm-hmm. or does work, um, but is able to work remote yeah. or, um, yeah and that's that's not so that's not so easy and i get i i don't have a sort of cohesive answer for how to do it correctly because i'm not sure that yeah. i've there's very few times i've seen a really successful um uh, yeah it's a hard life <laughs> <laughs> that's very real man 
Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, well, I appreciate you being on here um, and just sharing just your experience and thoughts about it. What, what's happening in Munich there? Anything big coming up that uh, you want yeah, to let people so, know about? So we're in the middle of the, the Munich Opera Festival, which dates back to the 18 teens, somewhere, give or take. Um, and so we're in the final stages of this. So our season's about to close on July 31st, but we come back in the fall with a super exciting season. So we'll open with the new production of The Marriage of Figaro, which will be fantastic. So so come hang out in Munich. Munich is a, an opera house that traces its history back 500 years. Uh, one of the most storied histories of, of opera in the world. And it is, it's Olympic level uh, opera making and it's really fun. So if you ever pass through town, it's worth a stop. Awesome. Thank you for being on the show today, Eric. You Thanks, know, Dave. if you are in the Munich area, check out the Bavarian State Opera where they are putting on a Marriage of Figaro right now in the season. And if you're interested in partnering with a faith-based mental performance coach to help you reach your goals, Check us out at www.bullishdrive.com. I would love to chat with you. And always remember, it starts with you and your destiny is waiting. We'll see you next week. Peace.